Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 23 of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. Uh, thank you guys so much for sticking around. I feel like we haven't done a show in forever, man. And that's because I recorded that show with uh, Phil Labonte last Wednesday and then put it out on Friday. And it just feels like it's been a, a, a year since we've done a show. I don't like that. We gotta maybe, maybe someday when we turn this into a full-time job, we'll be doing shows every day. That's the important thing. That's where we need to get, right? Um, but anyways, we got a great show for you today. Start out with some awesome sponsors. Of course, Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs. Delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Is delicious stuff. You need to get it. Uh, TopLobster.com. Guys, go find my homie Top Lobster on, on Twitter. Follow him today. He needs it. Trust me. Uh, but this man is awesome. He does all the thumbnails for the show. If you ever come on this show, you're probably going to get an awesome cartoon drawing of yourself. He also makes great gear like this wonderful Scott Horton in the war shirt or hoodie or hat or whatever it is that you want to get. Definitely go to toplops.com and also lorenzotti.coffee. You can use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, I get a cut of that. That's how sponsors work. So, uh, And then, of course, Anthem Planning uh, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Uh Please check them out at anthemplanning.com. They're executive producers of the show now. Amazing people. We had uh, Amy Lepore on the show a couple Wednesdays ago. She's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, next to the man that we're having on today. He is, I, I think, the founder, maybe, uh, of the 10th Amendment Center. He's definitely the, the uh, ultimate voice for nullification that I've ever met, and also one of the nicest guys, and someone I'm very, very proud to call my uh, call friend myself. He is Michael Bolden. How you doing today, sir? Oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, I was still waiting for last Friday's stream, but I'm glad you made it. Yeah, dude, have you been sitting there the whole time? This whole time, I never even leave. My goodness. It's because as soon as you left, I felt a void in my heart. Did you really feel a void in your heart? Were you sad? <laughs> you didn't feel it with... Uh, yeah, of course. You Anytime I'm not hanging out with you, I'm sad. <laughs> you know, you are actually one of the people that I've met in all these years that I, I think about. And I'm like, man, if that dude lived a little closer, we would be hanging out at least once twice a year guaranteed <laughs> well thank you very much for that we definitely be going I out mean, and get weekly. some delicious i mean weekly we i love you man thanks for having me on i'm glad we're able to do this makeup show not that we had a fight right uh, i really just brought you on to, talk, you to talk about, about? I, I really just brought you on to talk about the article that they wrote about you at the adl man that was, that was good shit you know big white supremacist and all that stuff now was it the or was it the i SPL, got an adl article was it the sp was it Southern Poverty? Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> How's that for irony? You know, you really missed I your calling, man. The shirt. You, you and Dave Smith should be on <laughs> tour right now doing a stand-up comedy. That's what should be going on. <laughs> nah, I'd just be setting up the speakers. Well, what are we going to do? What are we doing? We're just here. We're just here hanging out, and everybody's going to be in a live chat. Top Lobster wants to know where my saxophone is. Do you play saxophone? I mean... I haven't heard that joke since I worked at Target when I was 17. I seriously, I worked in electronics and someone thought it was so funny. They'd be like, Michael Bolton, dial 356. Michael Bolton, dial 356. Wow. Wow. So let's talk about nullification. Okay, let's do it. No, I just, I, I, you I know. guess I'm nullifying a quality show with these jokes. No, I love the jokes, man. Bring them on. I, seriously, I, listen. 
my favorite guests are the ones that I don't have to talk the entire show because that makes my nice. that makes my my viewers much happier. Trust me, I'm not I'm not the smart person on this show ever. But uh, no, man. And so so, why don't you talk a little bit about the the Tenth Amendment Center and uh, and why you started it and what it means to you? Well, uh, that's cool. That's a good question, right? You're a professional at this point. That's nice. Um, where did I start the Tenth Amendment? Oh, back in two thousand six. I had this idea that I had been an anti-war activist for a number of years, and I had been working with a lot of the, uh, during the Bush years, of course, most of the anti-war activism was really just uh, groups like Answer Coalition, basically Marxists and communists. And over a period of years, I recognized that they weren't really anti, well, maybe some of them are, but a lot of them really weren't. The message wasn't anti-war. They were basically saying, just spend less on warfare and redirect the spending towards healthcare and education and stuff like that. And I kind of got sick of that. I recognized that there was really a problem. And I came across this whole concept of 10th Amendment, you know, and I thought, you know what, there's this line in the sand that says the feds are only supposed to do a certain amount of stuff and everything else they're not supposed to do. And war is certainly a part of that, especially undeclared wars, because there hasn't been one since World War II. So all of the wars that have been they've engaged in since then have been uh, a violation of the Constitution. We can talk about Patriot Act and spying, the Real ID Act and National ID Card, prohibition on guns and plants. These are the things that I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to start blogging. So I registered a domain name back in the summer of 2006. 10thAmendmentCenter.com, little-known piece. I also registered, I believe, 4th Amendment Center and 5th Amendment Center.com. Uh, but the one that uh, got the most traffic was this one I was blogging on, 10th Amendment Center. And I just wanted to teach people that no matter which team was in charge, uh, they were always either lying to you about their, their job, lying to you about what they were trying to do, or if they did accomplish what they were going to do, that cost way, much, way more money or there was some other kind of unintended consequence. They were never authorized to do it in the first place and the like. And the rest is kind of history. We've been featured at Southern Poverty Law Center. I've had a, a bylines at a time, or Newsweek, the LA Daily News. I've been in Truth Out, Town Hall, all kinds of stuff. And we really focus our effort in a two-part way. One, we teach people the proper role of government under the Constitution, and then we also teach people how to use the tools that we have at our disposal. John Hancock once said, the powers reserved to the people of the states render them secure from overreach by the new general or central government. So we teach people about those tools and how they can stand up for their liberty whether the pow most powerful government in the history of the world, that is the one in Washington, D.C., the largest, biggest government in the history of the planet, whether they agree with us or not, we can work to expand our liberty at home, in our communities, and in our states. My God, I don't. Do we even need to keep doing the show? That was such a beautiful speech, man. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out. <laughs> just, Appreciate yeah. it. He's like, he's like, listen. There's lots of good restaurants down here in L.A. that I can go go to right now. Okay? <laughs> uh, if, you, if you don't follow Heather Michael Bolden, Lynn says marijuana is the devil. Of course. Now, marijuana is probably one of the greatest examples of these this activism that we're talking about. Because back in 1996, those of you who might be familiar, uh, in the ramp up to the passage of Proposition 215, this was the 
uh, Compassionate Use Act that went on the ballot here in California. Three different presidents came, one current one at the time, two previous ones came and campaigned in California against, don't vote for this. The Supremacy Clause says you can't do it. Federal law says it's it's illegal, so you can't do it. If you do it, we're going to sue you, we're going to shut you down, you're going to lose. Well, the people voted for it anyways. They did try to shut everybody down. In fact, in early 1997, uh, Bill Clinton and Janet Reno, of course, were threatening doctors. They were going to take away licenses from doctors who recommended cannabis to their patients. Uh, we know that people still did it anyways. A lot of people lost their liberty. They went to jail. Some of the earliest dispensary owners here in Southern California, like I can't remember his name, but one of the guys in West Hollywood, one of the first ones, he actually died in prison. So, I mean, it was a real horrible, aggressive attack by the Clinton administration. It was worse under the Bush administration. They ramped it up. And surprisingly, a lot of people don't even realize this. Obama was worse in his first four years on marijuana raids and the amount of money that he spent and the amount of raids that he did than Bush and Clinton combined in 12 years. So he was the worst in history. It's just that when enough people say no and enough states and localities pass laws backing them up, no matter what the feds do, they can't really shove their so-called laws regulations or mandates down our throats. This is really kind of a Jeffersonian approach. We can call it nullification, but he also told us that a free people claim their rights as derived from the laws of nature. So we're talking about natural rights, inherent rights, not as a gift of their chief magistrate. So we can actually exercise our rights. We can expand liberty, whether the general or central government wants us to or not. Sure. So so thanks for that. Uh, yeah, that comment, was, Heather. She was she was uh they're they're making jokes about how weeds the devil in there right now. The devil's lettuce. You know the jokes. You know the jokes. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, my, I shouldn't be paying attention to the live chat. I gotta pay attention to you. I'm so used to like YouTube. I'm always like scrolling through the chat. I love that. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You talked a little bit about Obama. Uh I I wasn't aware that Obama had ramped up ramped that up worse than uh Yeah, in fact, both of I them. think the narrative is that so the narrative on the left is that Obama was soft on on marijuana prosecution because he was one of the good guys. And on the right, the narrative is Obama was soft on marijuana prosecution because he doesn't want to enforce the law and he he's not on the side of law enforcement. But he actually conducted 270 raids approximately in his first four years. Bush did 200 in eight years and Clinton did 50 in the uh, approximate four years before that. So 250 over 12 years versus 270 in Obama's first four. He was horrible. He was really aggressive here in Southern California. He was really aggressive in Montana and just six weeks around Thanksgiving, just six weeks before, uh, I think it was Prop 64, the legalization in Colorado went into effect. He worked in a coordination, of course, with the DEA, which shouldn't exist in the first place, and local law enforcement around the state of Colorado to do the largest series of marijuana raids in the history of the state. It was like a warning shot. Don't do this. And then we saw weeks later, I think we can probably all remember the pictures or Google them or uh, start page or duck, duck, go and find pictures of the thousands and thousands of people lined up to purchase recreational weed. Now, of course, we don't like the fact if we believe in liberty, we don't like the fact that the state is regulating and taxing them. But it certainly is a much lesser evil, a significantly lesser evil than the status quo is, which is illegal and people thrown in jail at all levels of government. So once you take away a layer of enforcement on a state or a local level, it becomes almost impossible for the feds to do anything about it. We can do the same thing on guns, on all, surveillance and all kinds of stuff.
Sure, and you mentioned war in the beginning too, which uh, how do, how would that work? What do you mean? Like, like war how- is terrible. It works. A bunch of nasty people like Joe <laughs> Biden or Donald Trump or George Bush or Bill Clinton or Ronald Reagan. I guess even Jimmy Carter in there. He was probably the least bad. Maybe I don't know. Nixon. I don't know. They have a lot of power and they kill people. Yeah, no, I, I know how wars work, Mike. That how Come it works? On. No, how, murderous how, pigs. How can states say no to? To, to federal war, uh, backed wars. What, what I think the there's a couple do? of layers. It's not as easy, of course. It's not as easy. But of course, I think every time you weaken the central state, you weaken its ability to do what it wants to do. So every time we're chipping away at its overall power, that is a net positive. But if we want to directly address the warfare state, there's a couple of approaches that we try to do that's probably far more difficult than anything we work on. For example, the Defend the Guard Act, which would actually require a state to withhold its National Guard troops. And I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but there's a a pretty significant percentage of uh, National Guard troops which are being used in foreign conflicts. But the Defend the Guard Act, which is something that we actually modified, it's our model legislation, we actually modified from, man, I can't remember the organization, but they used to exist out of Madison, Wisconsin. It was a very left-leaning organization. They called it Guard the Guard. Cindy Sheehan actually supported it pretty significantly back in the Bush days. We made it more of kind of a constitutional approach to kind of fit our 10th Amendment work. And it would require a state to withhold National Guard troops for foreign wars without a declaration of wars required by the Constitution. Pretty simple stuff. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 and 16 is pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, that's very difficult to get passed. We got somewhat close in West Virginia a couple of years ago, and of course the adjutant general went to a committee chair or maybe the Speaker of the House in West Virginia and said, if you guys do this, you're going to be on the BRAC list. In other words, base realignment and closure list. We're going to shut down bases. You're going to lose millions of jobs. And of course, they just crumble. But I think that is something that we do need to work on. And then, of course, we can also think of some of the war powers like surveillance. Surveillance is a war power. The drug war is actually an international war. If you think about the war in Colombia, of course, for so many years, funded by the U.S. military and the CIA, this has been a warfare tool for many, many many decades. The war on drugs is a serious problem. So as we chip away at the war on drugs, this actually reduces some of the reasons that they have to go invade other countries that, well, I mean, they don't really, we know these aren't good reasons, but these are some that they use. Mm -hmm. And then even like the CIA rendition program, we learned over the last few years that it actually, so when they actually, the CIA takes somebody and they send it off to a black site in another country, they've actually been using airports owned and operated by the state of North Carolina, for example. So North Carolina, we actually have some model legislation that we haven't pushed there yet. But if North Carolina said, you can't do this anymore, then this would actually make it a little bit more difficult. And even I would take 1% more difficult to torture and invade is an improvement. And then we have to keep building on that. Thomas Jefferson, again, I'm going to go back to him in a letter to the Reverend Charles Clay, one of his good friends back in the 17, actually was 17, He said the ground of liberty is to be gained by inches. Those of you who think that there is some silver bullet to get from the largest government in the history of the world to an ANCAP society in one fell swoop, you're being fooled. You're being lied to. It's going to take fortitude and perseverance. That's how Samuel Adams put it. doesn't matter how many steps we take. There's always going to have to be more and more and more. But it's like what Lao Tzu said so many years ago. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I so what lo- do you want to talk about tonight? <laughs> Dude, I'm loving this. This is my favorite. This is the best interview ever, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I just need to get that. I just need to get that isolated. Uh, does Top Lobster do your editing? I just want to get that. This is the best interview ever and a quick cut to my face. There is no editing. This is a live show, buddy. No, I know, but you don't do like short clips or anything. Like I that. haven't been. I, I I got a buddy on uh, Twitter named uh, he just by the name of Rogue who has done a couple clips for me, and um, I do need to start getting like lot a lot more clips done because short clips, you know, for people. Who Ron Paul have... Liberty Report does like at least one, maybe two a day, don't they? Yeah, I think they do quite a like, bit. Like there'll be like a like a two minute clip of Ron talking about something awesome or something horrible that he's being awesome on, and then they say, "Watch the rest of the show here." This is something I need to do with my own podcast too, but. Uh, I guess it, it's only the big boys do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really a big boy yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You know what I mean? But I, I should have yeah. known that you had yeah. something to do with the Defend the Guard uh, uh, legislation. I don't know why I didn't know that. Uh, I had Scott on the show. Oh, you're familiar with it? Yeah, I had Scott on okay, the show. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, I drafted that. I it. wrote that bill. Nice. Of course you did. Of course you did. Why, would, who, why uh, wouldn't you Almost have? anything 10th Amendment based, if it doesn't suck, came from here. <laughs> you're right. It makes sense. That does make sense. I, I, uh, I mean, I think that's something that everybody. I'm not trying this... to be cocky. It's just factual. It's just factual. Would you say? Would you say that anybody in this country knows the Tenth Amendment and its implications better than you? Yes. <laughs> like who? I have no idea, but I just want a goal to surpass somebody. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Um, uh, someone, oh, someone in the chat said SPLC. Oh, that's Burt Grimm, our buddy Burt Grimm. He said uh, SPLC told me to be afraid of this guy, but he makes so much sense. To, he makes so much sense to me. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt, so we obviously are friends with SPLC. They love me. <laughs> I still don't understand how how anybody can listen to you speak and think that you're a, a Nazi. How, do, how does that come it's about? It's wild. No, they actually consider, they don't, I don't think they called me uh, a Nazi. And now SPLC, they have their list where they just link a bunch of people as being dangerous organizations or dangerous individuals. I actually got on a special tier above that. I think it was back in 2012. It's almost a decade now that they've had a profile. I have a full profile page in their hate watch section as being one of the 30 leaders of the radical right. Uh, And they highlighted my work on my radical views on nullification, that states can pick and choose laws that they don't like, uh, stuff like that. And so therefore I'm an extremist. But uh, the picture they have with it is pretty great. You don't have that handy, do you? I don't, unfortunately. Damn, I should have loaded that in there. I should have loaded the whole damn thing in there and then just popped it up. But hey, whatever. I think the only thing you're really extreme about is uh, is food in L.A., man. If anybody doesn't follow you on, <laughs> on Twitter, they don't understand how delicious your food looks all the time, man. Uh, I live, I'm doxing myself, but I live in Little Tokyo, which is like a foodie paradise here in downtown L.A. Uh, yeah. That's got to be so hard. What are we going to talk? It's got to be so hard to live in L.A. when you're uh, when you're so big on the Tenth Amendment, right? <laughs> oh, what do you mean? This is actually – I mean, I wrote an article on the L.A. Daily News a few years ago basically referring to California as nullifornia. Now, a lot of people think like, oh, just because you're Tenth Amendment. And I get this from conservatives actually a lot. Like, oh, I'm so surprised to be hearing about the Constitution from some guy in L.A. Or I'll be hearing things like, what the hell do you know? You're in California. But when it comes to resisting federal power, you – 
this is different with libertarians or ANCAPs. When it comes to resisting federal power, even though they're not doing it on issues that are popular with the right, California first started, well, not first, but 1996, we're talking about weed. Really, that I think is the start of the modern nullification movement, where you're seeing a state in a very large way saying no to the federal government, doing something, legalizing something that the federal government's saying at every level that you can't do. And then even after the Gonzalez versus Rach case, 2005, Randy Barnett made some Tenth Amendment arguments. They basically laughed him out of court. They said, no way, who cares? Uh, even and Clarence Thomas basically said, if the federal government can claim the power to regulate or prohibit someone growing six plants in their backyard, consuming it at home, and I'm paraphrasing, never crossing state lines, never buying or selling it, then their commerce powers are limitless. And they are limitless. But the people, and at the time that that case came down, now California had been joined by nine other states. So there were 10 states with medical marijuana laws on the books. And you know, at the time, I probably would have thought to myself, oh, the Supreme Court struck this down or said they can't do it. They're all going to repeal them. Well, that never happened. Today, we're up to what? I think 36 states and somewhere between 17 and 19 have gone full recreational. It's only a matter of time. And I made a video about this a few years ago. I said, basically, it's only a matter of time. The people in the states have already found the winning path. It's a matter of time before the federal government has to back down and pretend they're legalizing, tell the states, hey, you know that thing you guys have been doing all along? Well, now you have our permission to do it. They have to do that to save face. And it's going to happen at some point. So California's been doing this for a long, long time. And many other states that you'd think are going to be these strong constitutional red states really suck. And they're waiting for federal permission to do whatever they want to do. They won't do anything uh, without first getting a permission slip sure and i think that's something that, that's a lot of people don't think about that is like the, the the blue states are the ones that are are nullifying that especially that I mean, law when we're talking about immigration sanctuaries the first real and you we could go back from 1996 oregon and in, in 1987 banned the state from helping enforce federal immigration laws uh in a pretty wide range all the way back in 1987 Sure. So this has been happening for decades. The fact that it hasn't been happening for decades on the right to keep and bear arms, it should be a no-brainer, but it's an embarrassment. The fact that red red states haven't been doing this all along. And we can talk about gun control on the national level, on the federal level. National Firearms Act of 1934, the Gun Control Act of 1968, its amendments in 1986, the Undetectable Firearms Act of 1988. That's another NRA bill. Uh, the bump stock ban of 20. All of this stuff shouldn't exist. The ATF should be a corner store. We know the old libertarian joke, right? I think it should be ATFW, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and weed, right? So that should be a corner store. But it's a very simple process to be like, well, we're just not going to participate in helping you enforce this. We've seen how this has played out on immigration. We've seen how it plays out on weed. Why not just do it on something else? But it's very difficult to get the right to actually take these steps. We've worked on it for almost 15 years, and we get way more resistance from people on the right than we do on the left. Yeah, that's just it blows my mind, man. It's, we keep, we keep talking about this on the show uh, repeatedly. How you know the the uh, especially when it comes to to the the police. You know the right wants this police state, but they don't understand that the people who are going to come and take their guns are the police, and the left well, wants to defund the police and and get rid of them. But they the a lot of the laws that they want passed are going to be enforced by the police. So so 
so we've been actually since 2012, we've been, we developed some model legislation uh, late in 2012 to actually ban enforcement on a state and local level of federal gun control. The reason this works, now James Madison told us this would work back in Federalist 46. He said, use a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union, use state legislative devices to implement that. And if a number of states did this, it would create an environment the federal government would be hardly willing to encounter. I mean, this is his words, not mine. I mean, well, maybe my version of it. Uh, but it, like, if I have a problem with my iMac, I go to Apple. They tell me, okay, you need to do this. I think we can do the same kind of thing with the Constitution, whether you love it or hate it. James Madison, they call him the father of the Constitution. That's probably a misnomer, but he's one of the guys that you'd probably want to go to for advice on how to deal with things when they don't follow it. And this is what he told us to do. Refuse to cooperate with officers of the union. Stop participating in their enforcement on a state level, period. So we know this is going to be effective because he told us it would at a time when the government was tiny. Today, and National Governors Association has said this as well, states are partners with the federal government on most federal programs. Almost any federal enforcement action requires participation on state and local level to sustain at any large scale. The ATF only has about 5,500 employees for the entire country. They close down somewhere between eight and 10,000 cases per year. And if you had, let's say, 13 million undocumented short-barreled shotguns in violation of the NFA, then there's no way they could enforce that all. So it's a combination of human action of people saying, I'm going to exercise my rights whether the government wants me to or not. And if you get the states to help out by just simply saying we're not going to participate in federal enforcement, as they've done for a very long time on immigration, for example, it really brings it to an end. There's no way to do this. But I'll tell you what, we've been working on this on the right to keep and bear arms since about 2012, since late 2012. And the top opponents to our efforts on doing this is not Bloomberg. It's not every town. It's law enforcement. Sure. They are the number one most aggressive lobbyists against restrictions on enforcing federal gun control on a state or local level. It happens whether it's Wyoming, whether it's in fact, in Wyoming this year, we had a really, really strong piece of legislation from a guy named Senator Anthony Bouchard. I think he's probably running for federal, the Imperial Congress or something, unfortunately, because he's got a really good piece of legislation. This was Senate file 81. Every time I hear about someone who's doing something decent on a state level, trying to run for federal office, I'm like, ah, shit, we lost another one. It's too unfortunate. You can, you're not going to change Washington, D.C. These people are monsters. We need to ignore it as much as possible. So in, in Wyoming, he filed a really powerful bill to ban the state from enforcing almost any federal gun control measure past, present, or future. There's probably some loopholes in the bill, but all 23 sheriffs in the state signed a very aggressive letter opposing it. Of course, they voted it down and killed it. We've had the Missouri Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association lobbying against almost the same bill very aggressively in Missouri. Why? Because they like using federal gun control as a tool to prosecute the federal drug war. True. They catch someone dealing weed or some other substance that the government shouldn't say is illegal. And then, of course, if someone's working in a gray market or in a black market, what do you think they're going to do? They're, this is kind of a dangerous business. A lot of them are going to be carrying firearms because they're smart about protecting their business. So when they get caught, they generally get caught with a firearm and local law enforcement likes to partner with the ATF, which shouldn't exist, and the DEA, which shouldn't exist. And they say to these people, look, 
you turn in all your friends or your supplier, we're getting you another 10 years on a federal gun charge. And local law enforcement loves doing this. Gun control is a drug war program. The drug war is a gun control program. And so we run into a lot of opposition from law enforcement groups in the reddest of red states opposing efforts. The only time we've ever seen law enforcement not lobby against one of our efforts, and we're talking about specifically this year, we've had about 14 states where we've seen legislation like this introduced. The only time we've not seen aggressive lobbying against has been, I think, Oklahoma, where the bill that they passed, Fox News actually covered it as creating a Second Amendment sanctuary. It does absolutely nothing. So, of course, law enforcement says we love this bill True. because it doesn't restrict them from doing anything. How does it not restrict them? What's, I don't know. Is that kind of a tangent? Was the, that a tangent? We love your tangent. The, the, the chat loves your tangent. What's going on in the live chat? <laughs> Shane Hazel is here? No, they were saying Shane Hazel wants to do something similar as the governor of Georgia. He's running for governor of Georgia, um, and he wants to do something similar to what you're talking about as far Why as— Why isn't Shane here, actually? I, That's my problem. probably doing his own damn show right now. Have you not seen his show? Uh -huh. Radical? He does a great show, man. Yeah, I know, but can't he just skip it? To hang out with us? He's been on the show. He's been on this show with me. He's good. He's great. Um, oh, Jessica Green's actually talking about, she says Shane wants to do something similar in Georgia. There's actually two bills that are actually that were filed in Georgia. I think it was Senate Bill 268 and another one on the House side that would do this basic thing. But of course, the establishment Republicans in Georgia, you think the red state, the establishment Republicans in Georgia haven't even given the bill, either bill a hearing in the House or on the Senate. Uh, so it's a two-year session there, so it's possible with some grassroots pressure, either one of those could move forward, but we'll see. Sure, sure. So what's what's some of the most important legislation you're working on right now? What what, what can you talk about? I, th I think the, the gun control stuff is incredibly important, sure. but I think the police state stuff is huge. So whether it's, for example, uh, ending civil asset forfeiture, there's two types of asset, well, there's multiple types of asset forfeiture, but if we're talking about civil asset forfeiture, where they're basically taking people's stuff without even charging them with a criminal action, not waiting till they're convicted of a crime, that's criminal asset forfeiture, stealing stuff, legalized government theft, like taxation, but they do it with a gun, they show up and they steal your property. There's there's one example that I remember hearing where uh, there was like an 18 year old kid who was like a low level drug dealer. And then they conf he was living at home with his parents. They confiscated the dad's house because it was being used as a tool for the for illegal drug war. The dad wasn't even aware of who cares if he was aware. I mean, the thing is, the dad wasn't involved in it, but they stole his house. Uh, they've also had like there was one case in Texas, like uh, Department of uh, whatever federal government versus Department of Justice versus one Chevy Silverado. They're basically charging property with a crime. And so then you have to prove that it was innocent. I mean, it's really weird stuff. But if you restrict civil asset forfeiture on a state level, for example, North Carolina has some of the strongest restrictions on civil asset forfeiture on a state level in the country. Here in California, surprisingly, Institute for Justice, IJ.org, is the best organization in the country on civil asset forfeiture. Tenth Amendment Center is number two. So if you're talking about uh, restricting civil asset forfeiture, North Carolina has very strong restrictions. California has very good ones. Institute for Justice thinks they're average to better than average. But neither state until recently uh, actually restricted participation in the federal asset forfeiture program called equitable sharing. 
So what do they do? Equitable sharing is a program where as long as the local law enforcement thinks, well, this is a federal case, they call up their buddies in the ATF, they call up their contact in the DEA, somebody at the FBI, and all of a sudden it's a federal case. And then the feds take all the, 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 the property, the money, the cars, the houses, whatever it may be, and then they keep 20% and they divvy 80% back to the local law enforcement. So what happens in a place like North Carolina and then also in California until recently? In North Carolina, they can't even do civil asset forfeiture. Zero. It doesn't even happen, according to IJ. But yet they get millions and millions of dollars just acting as federal agents. So if you don't pay attention to the fact that the police state is a nationwide police state, whether it's surveillance, whether it's civil asset forfeiture, whether it's the drug war, war, whether it's gun control, local law enforcement is basically acting as federal agents all the time in state federal joint task forces. There's like 500 of them around the country. They get deputized as federal officials. They work on the dime of the local government or the state government, and then they're violating your rights. So you have to like pay attention to all these different loopholes, because if you try to close one, sometimes it's like whack-a-mole, and then you have to close another and another and another. So civil asset forfeiture, I think surveillance is a really big one. Uh, banning states from receiving uh, military equipment from the Pentagon. Federal military of local police is a big one. Of course, gun control, ending the uh, ending the drug war. We see in states here in California, there's a bill, uh, Senate Bill 519, which would legalize all kinds of therapeutic uh, medication, but not just for under medical uh, medical supervision, like psilocybin, for example, uh, decriminalizing not just cannabis, but other drugs as well. These are all tools of the monster state to control people. Of course, they want to tell you it's for your safety, but we should know that every time it's for your safety, it's so we can control you. Sure, sure. How, you know, so I live in Iowa now, obviously. I'm no longer a California resident. I miss you, bud. I do. But, uh, do they hate you there? Um, no, you know, surprisingly, I've gotten along with the Iowans very well, man. Surprisingly, but I, you know, I also didn't bring like far left politics with me, so. Uh, right. But, uh, um, you know, the, our our governor here, Kim Reynolds, is has now come out and said uh, that she will, through legislation or executive order, um, make sure that there will be no, uh, uh, you know, the 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 V word passports. Um, here in Iowa. So, so how, where, where do you stand on that with a governor kind of, it's an edict, right? But they're also saying that, Hey, we're not going to do that here. And we're not going to go along with whatever the federal government says. Is that a good thing or a bad I thing? I actually know nothing about it. I know a lot of people are talking. I've had family members reach out. I'm like, so this is the time of year we call nullification season from around January, generally December or January through April or May is the time of year where most state legislatures are in session. Sure. So the key issues that we work on, gun control, surveillance, asset forfeiture, uh, other police state issues, sometimes healthcare freedom, things like that. We're so deep in that, like, I don't even have an opportunity to start considering other things. So sure. I don't know much about that. I know a lot of people are very concerned about it. I mean, my instinct tells me it's it's all problematic. I just don't know what's happening on a federal level, what kind of mandates are out there. So sorry. I mean, I just never shut up, but on this one, I'm done. 
<laughs> that's okay, man. That's okay. We've talked about it quite a Let's bit. Let's find show, a way right? to get Bolden to stop talking. <laughs> how do you feel about how do you feel about the V word passports? He's like, what? Huh? What happened? Where am I? Uh, no, that's cool. I, I when I had if I, I had, could turn my camera. I've got a V for Vendetta poster right in front of me. Sure. So well, I, well, we're talking a that couple of the times, word? a couple of the shows that I've mentioned the the V word on will not let me monetize on YouTube. So I just try, I just call it the V word now. But uh, do you try to monetize? I'm monetized. The the ch- the channel's monetized. I got super chats. And... I mean, my channel is monetized too at youtubecom slash Tenth Amendment Center. Uh, it is monetized, but I keep monetization off. Oh, do you? Yeah, I turned uh, it. I turned it on, man. Just because yeah. it's like you know, like little sidebar ads and nothing big. I don't. I don't put like you know these. No, five, that's cool. Two two minute ads on there or anything, but uh. But yeah, you know, I, when you got seven kids, man, you gotta you gotta try to make any kind of revenue Dude. stream you can, bro. Listen to this one in the chat. Is it dumb if I just go into the chat? No, I don't care. I'm used to hosting my own. YouTube if you're looking show. the chat, I'm looking at the my chat. My local too. sheriff got my local sheriff got busted using civil asset forfeiture to buy himself a sports car. I called him Boss Hog on Facebook, and he did not like it. I'm shocked I'm not dead. That is an awesome. I mean, you know what I find most amazing about that comment is not that the sheriff bought himself a sports car with stolen property or just kept someone's stolen sports car. It's that he got busted. Yeah. I mean, because this kind of thing happens all the time in Texas, for example, in in the IJ report, the policing for profit report is what they call it. Their asset forfeiture reporting. Texas, for example, under the period that they studied, has taken over one point five billion dollars in assets, cash and other goodies. In California, for example, when they were doing it now, California actually closed that federal loophole on civil asset forfeiture for about 85 percent of the situation. I would like to see 100 percent, but 85 percent is actually better than Texas, for example, way better. So. They did most of that through joint task forces. So if you don't, again, I just want to really hammer on this. Even if you restrict someone from doing something on a, on a local level, you have to pay attention to whether or not they have an MOU, which is called a Memorandum of Understanding, or an MOA, a Memorandum of Agreement with a federal agency like the ATF or the DEA to act as a federal agent for the federal government. Then they do it outside of state law and they just do an end run around it. So on civil asset forfeiture, you can actually ban the states from actually using the equitable sharing program completely. They could say, well, let's say you participate in, we're going to ban you from receiving those funds in your department so that it's no longer a profit incentive for the law enforcement. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over which is i mean that's really an important step i guess it's huge man it's huge because they're ripping us all i mean we know they're ripping us off 
They always have ripped us off. And then, of course, they tell us that they're ripping us off to have the largest military in history to protect us. But as John Taylor of Caroline once wrote, I think it was in 1822 in his book, Tyranny Unmasked. This is one of the later Jeffersonians. He basically said defending a nation by oppressive taxation defeats its purpose. Like if they have to tax you to death in order to have this massive military empire to make you free, then what's the point? Because no one can come over and steal as much as they're stealing from you already. Right. Right. Not even close. Absolutely. Uh, well, in talking about, we were talking a little bit about the uh, federally funded, like milita- militarizing of the police in, in states and, 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 yep. and local police. I had when I had Amy Lepore on the show, who is one of the executive producers and she she owns Anthem Planning. What they do is emergency and crisis planning. Right. And she's extensively studied emergency and crisis planning uh, from a local level. And she was she was talking all about how um, the, essentially the the cities and, and counties are have have. Um, basically through through federal government like gotten themselves into a position to have uh war on terrorism at the local level against their own people oh yeah oh yeah and in fact when as i was talking about uh local law enforcement actually lobbying against efforts to ban them from enforcing federal gun control <laughs> this is wild i can't remember what state i think it was alabama uh the law enforcement, no, it was Arkansas. Actually, the Sheriff's Association president in Arkansas came in and lobbied against this bill, Senate Bill 298, which passed. It would have banned enforcement. It literally listed the National Firearms Act of 1934 and the Gun Control Act of 1968. The state will not participate. It passed by wide margins, got vetoed by the governor, and then some parliamentary tricks. Uh, they It ended up not getting overridden. But anyways, the, the lobbying against it, he basically, they asked, well, why are you against this and he says well um blah 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 <laughs> timothy mcveigh literally that's exactly what happened some kind of garbage diarrhea came out of his mouth and then within two sentences he immediately said well we need to be able to participate with federal joint task forces and do gun control because you know uh timothy mcveigh i mean he was right next door in oklahoma but i mean i don't think he used guns but anyways but they immediately go to terrorism they're there to protect us from terrorism and of course james madison warned us he says the means of defense against foreign danger will always be the instruments of tyranny at home we've known this all along anyone who studies history knows that this is what government does fear is the foundation of most governments if i want to cite another founder john adams back when he was one of the good guys 1776 ish he said fear is the foundation of most governments the only disagreement i've had with that is that he should have used just eliminate the word most, they use fear. And as long as people are afraid of living free, they're going to basically defer to government to protect them. And government only protects them by oppressive means through theft and domination. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, so obviously I work with the Libertarian Party, you know that. And I know that you stay pretty nonpartisan, as you should, because you're able to work across all the aisles for a very important cause. But um not being nonpartisan, what do you think that for the Libertarian Party, it's almost completely um, ridiculous to try and work at a federal level and just only they should focus more on state and local level? I do, but I'm sure there's some good arguments to be like, well, there's ballot, ballot access issues, right? I think that's a part of it. I mean, you have to think kind of holistically on these things. 
a lot of people want to put all their eggs in one basket. We got to put all of our work behind this presidential candidate. Who's going to run for president? Who's going to run for president? Well, the reason that everyone's so addicted to who wins as president is because the president is running the most powerful government in the history of the world. They can tell you uh, what kind of plant you can have in your backyard, how big your toilet can be, when you might have to go to another country and die for them, whether or not you can defend your family, your home, and your property. I mean... It's a lot. I mean, now they're going to tell you what kind of cigarette you can buy in camp. I mean, the micromanaging of our daily lives is massive. And as long as you have that type of power, consolidation is what the founders called it. This is centralization of power. The more you have consolidation, the more you have corruption, the more you have corruption, the more you have domination, and the less liberty you have. So I actually encourage people, even if you are going to be thinking about presidential politics, to think of it I think Murray Rothbard probably talked about it and kind of like he watched it like he was watching a TV show or a sports game. Like, what's going on here? What's going on there? And I think that's a really, really good approach to it if you're going to pay attention. Like, for example, I don't really I gave a speech at Porkfest a number of years ago. I was a keynote at Porkfest 10. I guess it's kind of old school at this point. And I basically said, forget that the 202 area code even exists. If you really want to advance liberty, the only way to do it is in your individual life, in your community, in your city, in your county, and sometimes on a state level. You're not going to be effective. Now, if you have to have candidates on a national level for other considerations, I think that's very important because the more those other considerations come into play, and I'm no expert on any of that stuff, the more effective you can be on a local level as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, definitely. So the, the Libertarian Party has to run a presidential candidate. It's how we keep ballot access in like twenty states. Yeah. Um, but none, yeah, none of the other huge. none of the other federal offices really uh, have anything to do with our ballot access. It's usually the go- the gubernatorial race in, in a lot of states. Or uh, okay. Know, yeah, stuff like that. So, um, but yeah. Also, so when people are running for Senate and stuff like that. So I'm glad to hear that. Like Shane, I know ran for Senate. Now he's running for governor. Yep. See, that's a huge improvement strategically in my mind. And everything I've seen from Shane, and I don't watch him uh, or watch his Twitter really, really regularly, but when I do, it's pretty hardcore, it's pretty consistent. And I think he's going to be far more effective, win or lose, just working towards the state level, because that's where you can actually get things done, not only just for the state level, but also you can take this message of we live under an oppressive central government and we can actually do something about this on the state level as well. So you get kind of a one two punch. And I think you're, you can hear you can put out messages that most people aren't used to. I had a buddy years ago who actually ran for mayor of Pasadena, California. He was 24 years old in a goth wearing full eyeliner. Uh, like leather jacket with tons of like uh, band buttons. And he was running against a 20 year or so incumbent. And I'm like, dude, you need to run on war policy. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, just start talking about like, well, Pasadena shouldn't be supporting uh, any war efforts. Let's start boycotting uh, companies that participate or war profiteer, whatever it may be. And he actually got enough attention that he had three different debates wearing full makeup and eyeliner at the time. His name was Aaron Proctor. I haven't touched base with him in ages. And he got like 10% of the vote, which I think is pretty significant, especially if you're thinking, and he wasn't running as a libertarian, but because his strategy was talking about things that are very important to people in their day-to-day lives, which are a lot of these national issues, he was able to raise awareness for his campaign locally. Right. 
No, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree fully. Uh, I just want to shout out, thanks for the super chat, uh, Level Zero. And then uh, Daniel E. sent a super chat, said, should the feds sell back all land it owns, what level of management should the feds have over the physical land of the U.S.? Huh. Oh, man. Uh, should have very little. We're talking about things like, we don't want to do a whole episode on the enclave clause of the Constitution, but basically very little. Like in places like Utah, they have somewhere between 60, 80, and 80% of the land. In California, like 40 to 50%, like huge amounts, especially in the West. And I don't even think that they should sell it back. I think they should relinquish. I mean, if we're thinking more in principle, relinquish. And then somehow somebody at the state level has to figure out how that's going to go. But the feds need to have uh, hands off. They will not ever do that. There is no way that's ever going to happen. Because then what you're talking about is relying on the empire to limit its own power. This is like going to a federal court in the hopes that a federal court is going to tell the federal Congress or a federal president, "Uh uh-oh, you've done the wrong thing. And maybe they do that once in a while. I think they get like somewhere between 10 and 15,000, sometimes 20,000 case requests per year at the Supreme Court. They take maybe 80 to 150, and maybe they overturn two to five law. I mean, it's a numbers game at this point. So when it comes to land, this is a very difficult one. In some ways, I really like what the Bundys were doing uh, in Nevada. They were basically saying, we're going to do this anyways. I'm not really a big fan of armed standoffs at all. But in that situation, it actually, I don't know. I don't know. At some point, this is one of these things I think that I don't know if the people are ready to do what's needed to be done. on that particular issue. Same with the IRS. At some point, the people of the states are going to have to say, we're not going to participate anymore. And I'm not sure if the education and the awareness, the love of liberty actually exists. Right now, we can do these opt-out things because we can find people on an issue-by-issue basis. Someone on the left is probably going to be very much on board with ending uh, police militarization. So we can go to the blue states and say, hey, Why don't you look at this uh, legislation that says we're not going to participate in the federal government's 1033 program anymore. And it's much easier to get something like that passed, like we did see get passed just this year. It's on the governor's desk in Washington state, for example. Or we can go to a right wing state sometimes and get things passed like House Bill 2111, which was signed by Governor Ducey, who's a piece of garbage. But I think there was a lot of pressure on him. Mind you. Governor and piece of garbage is generally redundant. So, I mean, I shouldn't have to say that, but I do. But House Bill 2111 got signed into law in Arizona, and it bans the state from using any resources or personnel to enforce any federal gun law that doesn't have a concurrent law on the books in the state. So this is a very good foundational first step forward. We can do that on an issue-by-issue basis. But when we're talking about things like the IRS, the warfare state— the land where it actually probably is going to require somehow convincing the feds or convincing enough people to stand up to the feds in a very difficult situation. I think we're many years off, but we should actually start pushing on those things. Now, for example, we see how Illinois has a very robust marijuana legalization program, but it took them 10 years just to get medical passed. So they had a, a piece of legislation for medical marijuana in Illinois 10 straight years before they got it done. So the time to start doing this is now have our sights set on long-run victory. That's what Rothbard said. I think it was probably back in the 60s. He says, for the libertarian, 
what did he say? For the libertarian, the ultimate goal in the present epic is to set aside his needless and debilitating pessimism, to set his sights on long-run victory, and to set about the road to its attainment. I'm probably butchering that a little bit, but we have to have a long-term vision to really be able to advance liberty. Just like Jefferson said, the ground of liberty is to be gained by inches. So that's a really great question. I don't actually have, that's Daniel, right? I don't have a real answer to how that's going to happen other than it's going to take a lot of people being willing to defy Washington, D.C., even in the face of them probably sending some goons, probably cutting off all kinds of funding and just doing it anyway. Sure, sure. Uh, speaking of of trash bag governors, uh, you know, a lot of us were celebrating Christy Nome through this COVID thing because she's garbage. Yeah, the, we were we were celebrating because she wasn't shutting down. She wasn't she wasn't pushing these mass mandates. And then they okay. voted. They voted in. They vote. They voted yes on legalization of pot, and she vetoed yep. it. What can be done when a governor? Although she didn't veto, something? it was a it was a ballot measure, and she actually she led the lawsuit to get it overturned instead of just letting it lie, right? right? She's such a Republican drug warrior, and a drug warrior is a gun grabber sure. because whether or not they claim to be a gun grabber, the drug war is a tool of the ATF all the time, absolutely. So it's absolute garbage, just like every other governor, but every governor. You can find them do something decent once in a while. And sometimes they do something decent because it's politically popular and they don't really have good principles. So let's say Gavin Newsom, for example. There's a bill here in California, AB 481, which would pretty heavily restrict the ability of local law enforcement to participate in these federal militarization programs. It's not just the 1033 program. There's the Department of Homeland Security grant program. There's the DOJ Edward Byrne JAG Justice Assistant Grant Program. These are There's very billions of dollars being thrown around. So let's say Newsom signs that. It's not because he's some solid principled guy. It's probably because he got a lot of pressure from areas that he doesn't want to piss off. So uh, in many ways, sometimes I think a governor with no backbone is better because you can sway them than a governor who has principles like John McCain did. Basically crappy principles on everything, but will stick to it no matter what. So Christy Noem, I'm no fan of. I'm no fan of any of these people. DeSantis, Newsom, none of them. Yeah. Cuomo. (laughs) Trust no one living with power to endanger the public liberty. That's a standard founding father. I mean, I do all this constitution stuff. So, I mean, these are the type, this is the type of advice that we have. These people were very successful taking on the largest government in the history of the world at the time. And I think we have a lot to learn. Sure. Sure. And, and speaking of, uh, as a guy who smokes Marlboro reds, but occasionally likes a Newport every once in a while, uh, what, oh, those are <laughs> rough, man. You should—they should ban those. Yeah, right. What? Uh, what? I mean, what do you? What do you think? Do you think there's any states out there that are going to tell the federal government to fucking get fucked or what? When it comes to this, this. I don't know. Thing? I mean, is it really going to happen? First of all, right. I don't know. I think that's a big question. Will it actually happen? And if it does. Is there going to be a gray market? Are people going to buy them from Mexico? Are they going to get them from Indian reservations? I encourage that. I used to buy back when I was a smoker. I used to get uh, smokes from Indian reservations in uh, New- upstate New York, and I would uh, you know, miss out on a lot of the federal taxation. I didn't really like the cigarettes as much as my 
my fancy Nat Sherman's or my Capri 120s that I used to smoke all glamorously. But, uh, you know, there was a, there was kind of a principle to that. So I think if they end up doing that, there's going to be a pretty huge black and gray market to it. And I think, uh, there's going to be difficulty pulling that off on Indian reservations, which maybe, uh, at a time might help some people who've been screwed over by the empire for a long time as well. Yeah, no, no shit. I, I, uh, <laughs> support your local Indian reservation and their cigarette sales. I, for one, never thought we would have a black market on mentholated corn syrup, but, uh, that's, that's where we're headed. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> I mean, there's a black market in all kinds of stuff. Sure. If you think about it, I mean, how many things are prohibited by government at some level or another, right? I mean, it's prohibited to walk outside in some places without something covering your face. It's prohibited from, like, selling something. It's prohibited from uh, defending your home and your family. You're prohibited from having a plant. You're prohibited from eating a certain kind of a food or a certain size of a soft drink. We shouldn't be surprised. Not at all. As soon as you give them an inch to prohibit one thing— as soon as you give them the power to do something you like, they're going to use that power in the future to do something you hate. And they're going to continue expanding on this over and over and over. I don't think we should be surprised at any of these things. Right. No, I, I, agree. I used to, man. I used to, especially when it comes to things like a mass surveillance. Um, holy crap. I would hear things. I'd be like, you are crazy. There's no way they're going to do that. But man, we're talking about, they have things like predictive policing now where they're doing pre-crime type of stuff. The Trump administration really love that kind of thing. I mean, automated license plate readers, ALPRs, they can, the technology is so advanced. Like, and you'll see these on red light cameras, but also like fast track systems. Sometimes there's just like a camera at a intersection, for example. Sometimes they mount them on uh, cop cars. They can put them on a tripod. They can snap up to, and they're pretty accurate. 800 license plates per minute. So they're tracking people, and the DEA has actually been using this. We learned about this uh, at a leak, I think at Reuters. They published it a couple of years ago. And as of two to three years ago, the DEA had been secretly running a nationwide license plate tracking program for eight years. No one had ever heard about this. What they were doing is they were providing through federal grant funding to local law enforcement all kinds of tools for local law enforcement to enforce parking tickets and speeding and doing tolls and red light cameras. And then they were taking that information, feeding the data through fusion centers and another thing called the information sharing environment, which is a post 9-11 Patriot Act piece of garbage as well. I SE, sharing it with the federal government. The, the local government was collecting the data on where everyone was going. The DEA was making profiles of where everyone goes. Some of them even have facial recognition so they can keep track of where passengers are going. I mean, it's just a nightmare. So dystopian. I mean, Stalin would have wet his pants at this kind of power. We have so much more power that we've authorized. We, I mean, I don't know who this we is, but the people have authorized this power, turned a blind eye to one side or the another. My guy is okay. He's never going to use it the wrong way. And only their team will use it the wrong way. But that's the mentality that has given us the largest government ever. Sure. So that, you just brought up a really uh, a point that I want to talk about now. Uh, so I, one of my first shows, I did uh, a segment on Ross Ulbricht, right? I'm 
really big on hero. Like, yeah, hero. Really big on trying. Want to see him. Have you freed. met his mom? I have not. I've I've spoke with her once. Holy on Facebook, crap! But I want to me like I could almost cry just thinking about. I, she's an amazing oh, human yeah, being. She is really cool. I want to get Lynn on the show eventually. But I so so uh, the one of the one of the ways the federal government was able to to illegally spy on Ross was um, they give all this this spy equipment to Europe right and and they're not allowed to use it here in the states but Europe can use it and so then they can share what they learn about our citizens with our government through some kind of data sharing yeah there's also section 702 of FISA which is only supposed to be used for uh, uh, foreign intelligence and for terrorists you know like when they were reauthorizing it under the Trump administration 2017 2018 Paul Ryan gets up on the on the floor of the house and he's like this is let's just be clear this is for terrorism but we know how the internet works sure. if I you and I were on this Skype chat right well the data the packets are not just going from Los Angeles to an undisclosed location in Iowa, they're bouncing around, maybe going into Serbia, Brazil. Soon as something hits a cable that leaves the US, Section 702 authorizes them to collect everything. And we know that the, just recently, uh, even the FISA court in a, a partially redacted, partially un uh, redacted, or partially declassified opinion that was released just in the last couple of weeks. They noted that the NSA, when they're tapping into all this data and they're collecting information incidentally on American citizens, they're passing that information along to the FBI and the FBI is using it for routine criminal investigations, collecting data on people without warrant. We were, of course, the people who were opposed to the Patriot Act right off the bat, they said they're going to use this on everybody. No, 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 no. You're nuts. This is bullshit. They're, of course, it's just for terrorists. But every time you give them the power again, the means of defense against foreign danger, James Madison warned us, are always the instruments of tyranny at home. As soon as you give them that power to do that, that's exactly what's going to happen. Sure. Uh, did I even answer your question? You, you did. You I did. don't even know. Sometimes you stuff did. just starts, you know, the, the you neurons start interpreted my question better than stuff. I asked it. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Should we hit that how do you feel about Spooner question from Top that's, Lobster? That's what I was about to say, man, okay? Because you're a big, you're a big constitution guy, right? So where you stand? I love Spooner. Okay, Anyone who thinks Spooner was just pure anti-constitution hasn't read Spooner. Sure, sure. But, I mean, he wasn't the biggest uh, fan. Most people who say, you know, <laughs> I've read a lot of Spooner. Sure. Uh, Randy Barnett, who I love and hate. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't use the word hate. I love and sometimes disagree has done some great writing on Spooner. Spooner's, f my favorite work from Spooner was his paper on the trial by jury. This is jury nullification. He gives the entire theory of jury nullification and how uh, the right of a trial by jury, not jury trial, is a trial by the people rather than a trial run by the government. Great stuff, 1852 and 1860. He also did a great a defense against fugitive slaves, I think it's called. He basically talked about Northern nullification of the Fugitive Slave Act, the unconstitutionality of slavery. So he made a lot of arguments regarding the Constitution. And then later on in life, he got frustrated. Of course, he had the government go after him for his postal service. And he's like, man, I'm over this. This whole Constitution thing, he based it. The, the line is, and we hear this primarily from ANCAPs. Anytime we post about something about the Constitution, we'll get an 18-year-old ANCAP thinks that we got a gotcha. 
What do you think about, you know, Spooner? I'm not saying Lobster is saying that at all. Right. It's an awesome question because Spooner is most well known for saying the Constitution has either authorized the government that we have or has been powerless to prevent it. Well, we're kind of human action people here, right? True. Yeah. Yeah. Words on paper don't cause or prevent anything. Human action does. The Constitution can't cause or create something. It hasn't failed or succeeded at anything. It's people's belief in liberty that has failed. We have not had, uh, uh, you know, it's a set of rules of government. Sometimes you can improve rules. You can learn that some of your rules are crappy and some of them are bad. But the idea that the Constitution itself caused a problem, I would say, is just absurd. Because it's human action, which is really the problem that we're talking about. And the general public, the market, really isn't on board with liberty, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would like to think that. And I know some organizations would be like, oh, 78% of Americans are libertarian. They just don't realize it yet. I don't think that's the case. Because most of the time when there's a problem, people go to government. As long as people are going to have that approach, they're going to look to the Constitution and try to pervert the words of the Constitution to fit their goals. So that's going to happen whether the Constitution is a piece of garbage, a worthless document, or it's a really well-written one. In fact, James Madison himself actually recognized this argument was going to come up back in Federalist 48. He referred to the Constitution as a mere parchment barrier. Words on paper don't enforce themselves. It requires people to take action. It requires states, people of the several states. That was That's what Madison was arguing two papers earlier in Federalist 46. The people of the several states have to keep the central government in check. Most of the time, for probably about 100 to 150 years. Anytime someone thinks there's a problem with Washington, D.C., their strategy is vote the bums out, march on Washington, D.C., sue the federal government and federal court. In all of these strategies, you're basically saying, let's go to the federal government and demand that the federal government limits the power of the federal government. If that's not a failed strategy, if it's not obvious that that's not a failed strategy, I don't know what is. True. Sure. I don't well, know. Does that hopefully that answers the question? I, I think, love I that that Top Lobster asked that. Yeah. Well, so uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Top Lobster. I'm not sure if you've read a lot. So the Liberty Fund Online Library of Liberty, LibertyFund.org, is a great resource for a lot of liberty. Some libertarian stuff, some kind of founding fathers, some revolutionary stuff. Uh, really, really interesting information. They have the a lot of uh, original papers from. I mean, it's transcribed from Spooner. So for example, the trial by jury, I've done a podcast on that, just that one paper of Spooner's, but also his arguments against the constitutionality of slavery. So he made a lot of arguments talking about how the federal government isn't authorized to do this or that. And then at some point he's just over it. I mean, he's an anarchist. Sure. Sure. Well, we're definitely getting towards the end of this interview, but I did want to, I did want to bring up what? one. I did want to bring up one more point. Yeah. My show's only an hour, man. I only do an hour. Not today, it's not. <laughs> it's already an hour eight, so that shit's been nullified, dude. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, look, so there's there's a there's been some rumblings going around that that Dave Smith may try to run for president, right? What would it I take? Love Dave. What would it take to get a Smith my roommate. Smith Bolden ticket in twenty twenty four? Is that a real question? That's a real question, buddy. Could That's you imagine, hilarious. Could you imagine the 50-state media tour that you guys could embark on? It'd be great. Do you know what percent <laughs> chance there is of that happening? 
<laughs> Damn it. Do you not remember do you remember my meme that was zero? <laughs> do you remember do you remember my meme that I made the uh for the twenty twenty? Most political type would be like, I'm not gonna rule out blah blah blah, right? Yeah. You're like not no, but hell no. I say never. But dude, I will never, <laughs> ever, ever for any amount of money, influence, or anything ever run for any office in government ever yeah. in my life for any reason. Fair, fair. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. I'm not because shocked. I hate the government I... and I have no interest trying to fix it from inside the government. I want people to resist the government, which is why I put all my life and all my hours into, which is really what that is, sure. is nullification, defying the government. The people need to learn how to exercise their rights, whether the government wants them to or not. Now, that doesn't mean that people who want to try to, to do things from the inside or raise awareness on issues by running campaigns, that doesn't mean that that's a bad choice. What's up, what's the right choice for another person is a right choice for another person. I'm not going to tell them what's good or bad. But for me, no way in hell. Fair, fair. I figured. I figured that was coming. But I did make a really fire uh, campaign. <laughs> Tweet Lynn Smith a bunch of times, man. <laughs> but I made I made such a fire meme back in uh, 20, 2019. I made the meme of you and Michael Bolton. It's a, the Bolden <laughs> Bolton 2020. It didn't come to fruition, unfortunately. I was really... You know, who's gonna be the P in that one? Oh, it would had it would have had to be you, you. You know what I mean? For me, but for everyone else, it would have had to be Bolton, because then he would have had the name, and you would have had the fire. What if I? What's that? What if I? I'm trying to think of what I can ask in a super chat. <laughs> Are you gonna try to put a super chat in the chat? <laughs> I don't oh, know. My goodness. Let's see what happens. Did it make it through? What? I got to enter my security code for my credit card? Oh, can I do paper? I, I probably, probably. Oh, uh, hey, Top Lobster says this is in the running for his favorite guest on the show, right behind my mother. My mother. So. Oh, so okay, I can be number two to your mom. Yeah, I had my mom on the show. That was a good episode. You know what? By the way, it's got the least views and least listens. You guys need to change that. My mom is extremely awesome, and we. We we literally red pilled her on the show. That's like what we what I did, and it was it was awesome. It was perfect. A lot of times, my favorite favorite episodes that I do for my own show, Path to Liberty at tenthamendmentcenter dot com slash Path to Liberty. A lot of times, um, those are actually the least viewed. Sure. Uh, oh, I look, don't know. Oh, look, it we worked. got a super chat from Michael Bolden that says, "I love you. I love you too, buddy." Am I the first guest to super chat you? You are. You're the first guest live. To, to live super chat me on the show. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Man, I, I, well, lo really I love you to death, dude. You know that. What I'm trying to do is trying to convince you to go another hour and a half. Oh, dude, I got seven it's kids. Five seven now, kids that, to put you like, bed, buddy. Are you, are you like a $3.50 per hour kind of dude? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm much more expensive than, no, actually three fifty. That's perfect. That's perfect. No, I, I got seven kids to put to bed, man. What do you, what do you want from me? Jim Bovard is in the chat. That is, I have learned so much reading from James Bovard over the years. It's unbelievable. That's really cool. Jim Bovard says he's a rare, this is a rare intellectual dynamo. That is it. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, he knows he's, we know he's not talking about me. 
don't really find Jim's articles uh, through his Twitter, sure. uh, but I also I read everything they republish over at FFF.org. Some of the sites that I read regularly, of course, Mises, Future Freedom Foundation, Antiwar.com is really my first every day. I actually read Antiwar.com before I read my own site. I mean, I guess technically because I'm the final person that in the in the kind of food chain before something goes live on my site. So I'm technically reading my stuff first, but I'm not like going to my own website. I'm starting out at Antiwar.com. Sure, great website. Scott's amazing. I've had I had Scott on the show. He's free Future Freedom Foundation. I had uh, you know uh, Hornberger on the show. It was my first guest show that I did was with Hornberger on here. So. Good stuff, man. Oh, how did that go? I, I didn't see that one. It went good, man. I had, you know, I I I, I got to become friends with Jacob during we were running at the same time when I was running for chair, he was running for yeah. uh, president, and we were at the same conventions all the time. So I I got to know Jacob fairly well. He's, you know, we we got along really great. I didn't always agree with everything he did during his campaign. I don't think other people did too. But he, like, what did you not like? Well, it wasn't Is that bad. To ask? It was just no. I mean, it wasn't like I hated anything that he did. I I loved. I love Jacob, but um, and I think he talked about a lot of great stuff. But you know, some of the uh, the uh, I, I talked to him about it on the show, and he explained it pretty well. But like you know, going going hard after the other libertarian candidates, like like Amash, and mm. and I thought that that was not not necessarily the worst thing that could be done. What do you but, think of Justin? Man, I, you know, if Justin becomes the libertarian candidate, I'm going to say he's 100 percent the best candidate running for president in 2024. That's for sure. You yeah. know. Um, if but I, I don't dislike him like no. a lot of people do. Yeah. I don't dislike him. Um, I think some of the things that he like he wants to do for solutions are too much centralization of power. Like, oh, OK, we're going to force liberty on people. There's a there's a number of people in the libertarian realm that thinks the right approach to something is a top down approach. Sure. I mean, I don't want a libertarian dictator either. I mean, we can't force people to be free. You have to actually teach them that freedom is better. Samuel Adams says, you know, all would be free if they, A, valued freedom and defended it as they ought. So in other words, people need to understand the benefits of liberty, and then they know have to know how to defend it at the same time. If you only get one or the other, you're not really going to have more freedom. You have to really have that one-two punch. And I gave an example at that speech in... Uh, at Porkfest 10, I was substituting for Lou Rockwell. I guess he had hurt his back. That's about when he hurt his back. And Mike Vine, who was the, the guy with Free State Project at the time, who was doing the booking, he's like, Bolden, can you substitute? I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, yeah, I'll come up with something. But I basically uh, made the case that the best way to advance liberty, at least in my realm, I've learned that you can give people a zillion books. You can show people every video on earth. But until, unless they're already kind of leaning our direction, until they actually see it play out in practice, they don't buy it. Sure. And I think that's why the marijuana story is so important. Because if you talk about 1996 California, I can guarantee you there were no Republicans supporting that. I mean, there may have been some, but this was primarily a party line type of thing. You'd have the left and some libertarians supporting legalization efforts, whether it's for medical or broader than that. And then over time, even though they told us that the world was going to come to an end, that you were going to be funding terrorism coming from Afghanistan if you legalize weed and the cartels would be more powerful, even though it's so stupid to think that because the cartels lose power when they aren't able to sell their stuff on the black market. When people started learning that the world didn't come to an end 
and that some people were getting rich out of it, then the right started learning like, okay, I'm on board with this too. And that's why a couple of years ago in Oklahoma, they passed at the time, I think it was in 2018, and I talked about this at the um, the Mises Caucus event in New Orleans. I talked about how uh, Oklahoma, by a wide margin, was like 65 to 35, passed by a ballot measure the broadest medical marijuana law in history, broader than the California one of 1996. And that's the reddest of the red states. And the reason is, is because we've provided people an example for years and years and years that having a little bit less government control over something is actually a positive. And that's why I encourage the right to do the same thing on guns. If someone would have asked me in 2005, do you think the right will ever support any kind of marijuana legalization? And I said, yeah, we can prove to them that it's okay. I would have been laughed out of a room. And in fact, I would give a message in my early years, uh, we're doing 10th Amendment Center work. I talked about the drug war and I talked about marijuana legalization. I gave a speech at the 25th Annual Gun Rights Policy Conference in 2009 or 2010 in San Francisco of all places. And my entire speech was about pot. And then I ended it with, this is what they're doing. Now you need to do the same damn thing for the sake of all of our liberty. And I would oftentimes get laughed out of a room. Well, I mean, they would get it at the end, but they weren't expecting that kind of thing. And I have the same kind of message for the right when it comes to the right to keep and bear arms. I think the only way to convince anyone on the left that having people having their natural right to defend themselves being a positive is to prove it to them in practice. And the more that we do these types of things, the more that people can learn. That's the only way people learn, I think, is by in practice. A lot of people learn things by reading and they say, oh, that's nice in theory, but we got this problem that needs to be solved by government. The way we prove it to them is show them that we solve it without government. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Is that uh, a good summary? Yeah, that was a great summary. VR, VRG in the super chat uh, asked me how overpowered Sharon in, uh, I think that's uh, Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, I have unfortunately not seen that one, so I apologize. But what is that? I'm what guessing very that? overpowered. It's a, a movie. Uh, well, uh, I watch movies. It's a, it's a, a, I tried watching Marvel? Tenet. It was, like a, it was a spinoff from the Captain American movies, Falcon and, and, and the Winter oh, Soldier. Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I have not seen yet. It yet. But I'm guessing very overpowered. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. So that's another three dollars and fifty cents. I believe that means we have three more hours. <laughs> dude, I got seven kids to put to sleep. You better. Give, you know what I mean. I gotta get up for work. Oh, no, dude, I'm sorry. Buddy. I'm sorry. I actually, I, I to be think. honest with you, I'm a bit of a loner, <laughs> and I just love. Yeah, and I love you, man. You know, you know damn well I'd sit here and talk to you all <laughs> night if I could, man. You know, it. absolutely, one hundred percent. I'm, I'm a huge fan, Mike. You know that. I'm a huge fan of yours, Mike. Likewise, likewise, huge. huge. I'm a. Uh, I'm a nobody, man, but you're 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 an intellectual dynamo, bud. Oh, dude, that's hilarious. I didn't even get a college degree. I, that's that just blows my mind. I I'm pretty sure that Scott doesn't have one either, and that guy could go all day about I went to college for seven years and have no degree. Wow. I went to uh let's see. Uh University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. I went to Marquette University, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I did a short stint at Waukesha County Technical College. That's outside of Milwaukee. I went to cop school. I was going to be a cop. Then one day I'm riding home. I'm driving home. And I have, uh, you know, I'm going like 20 over the speed limit. I get pulled over and a cop's like, hey, give me your license. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, hey. 
and he sees my class book on my chair or on my passenger seat. And he's like, Oh, are you in so-and-so's class? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, that guy's a hard ass, blah, blah, blah. All right. Well, have a good night. Be safe. And I'm like, Oh, is that it? He's like, yeah, man, take care and do good in class. And, and then I, something hit me. I'm like, there's something gross. That's what told me that there was something gross about it. That was my experience. Anyways, I went to a bunch of schools, uh, never got a degree. I am not an intellectual. I am um, more of a person who relentlessly reads about a very weird niche that I'm really on board with. And then because of that, I probably know more about that one specific niche than anybody else. But I would definitely not call myself an intellectual uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I think some, so of us, nice. some of us are willing to disagree with you there, bud. But hey, why don't you tell my, <laughs> why don't you tell my viewers where they can find you at, bud? You haven't said it enough in the show, I don't think. Oh, tenthamendmentcenter.com slash path to liberty. Uh, it's all spelled out. That's where my uh, podcast is. I do a live stream YouTube uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. I'm also on all basically every other platform, audio and video. And then uh, the other thing that I really think people, rather than just following my stuff and me blabbing, the most important thing we have is our state of the nullification movement report. Uh, we're updated through 2020 so far. It's 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report in very much detail. It is a 108-page free download. You don't have to give your email, nothing. Just download it. It's a PDF. We have a Kindle version. We have an Apple Books version. In the first half of that ebook, basically, you're going to get the entire history, constitutionality, legal basis for our strategy of nullification, anti-commandeering doctrine, Supreme Court cases, all kinds of stuff. The second half is how it's being implemented on a bunch of different issues right now before our very eyes. I would say there's been more nullification or nullification-style bills introduced and passed in the last few years than at any time in history. The reason is, is because the largest government in the history of the world, the more they do, the more reasons we have or more ways we have to opt out of their garbage. So that's 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report. That's the short version. All right, I love you, man. Thanks for having me. Man, I love you to death. I, I, you know, as the show progresses, maybe we'll get a chance to do another hour and a half to five hours. You know what I mean? Well, you owe me at least another three hours. <laughs> Say hi to your mom too. And that's intended to be weird. She was really cool while I was in the chat while we were trying to get rolling while you were in Missouri, or Missouri, as my friends say. Uh, she was really cool chatting with me in the live chat on the, on Friday as well. Yeah, Mama's awesome. She's always in the live chat for the show. I, unfortunately, the one night that I don't see her in the chat is the night that you're here. Go figure. That's because she hung out with me on Friday anyway. She's like, I already talked to that dude. I'm over it. <laughs> hey, well, Michael, thanks again for having me on. Like I said, I'm a huge fan, dude. I can't wait to talk to you again. Virtual hugs, brother. Virtual hugs, hugs, brother. Thank you. Thank you, everyone in the chat. Jim Bovard, that was one of the best compliments I've ever had. Top Lobster, all you guys. Jessica, thank you guys for participating. I'm very grateful uh, for the opportunity to be able to talk with you all. All right, brother. Hey, thank you again. I'll catch you later. All right, guys. Another successful episode. Man, Michael Bolden is the nicest guy in the whole world. I mean, he's a complete liberty badass who wants to tell – the, the federal government to eat his entire ass 
and he's just the nicest guy you will ever meet. I love him to death. If you haven't had an opportunity to see him speak live, I suggest that when they start letting people speak live again, you find it because he's amazing. Uh, and and uh, I, I watched him speak about nullification live at the California State Convention a couple of years ago, and it was amazing. Um, way better than even watching it on a show. Definitely go see him live if you ever get a chance. Let's uh, see what's coming up tomorrow. We got Drew from the Clean uh, Clean Libertarian um, podcast. I don't know if you're familiar. This man is a recovered uh, drug addict who is now using his libertarian platform to fight back against the drug war. He's amazing. He's become a good friend to me over the last couple of years. I'm very excited for our conversation. Of course, on Friday, I will have uh, the great Patrick Smith from Anarchist uh, on the show. Um, he just hosted a debate against myself and um, uh, Larkin Rose a couple weeks ago. He's amazing. He is probably one of the most pure uh, libertarian anarchists I've ever met in my entire life. So I'm really excited for that conversation. And then next week, we're going to have on uh, 511, we'll have Magnus Panvita. Uh, who is the boog boy that you saw read his speech on national television from outside of one of the state capitals. Uh, 512 will have Isabella Riley, and then on the 14th, we will have Monica Perez from the Propaganda Report. That is going to be awesome. I'm very excited for next week. Starting to have some more uh, women on the show, so maybe people quit calling me a misogynist or something. Um, Definitely check out Coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, toplobster.com for all your wonderful graphic design needs. He is the man. Give him all of your money. Before you give it to me, go give it to Top Lobster. Look at this awesome Scott Horton in the Wars hoodie. You can't go wrong. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, anthemplanning.com for all of your emergency planning needs. These people are amazing. Find out what they can do for your business or you personally. You definitely need them in your life. Um, Check out the Patreon if you can, please. Uh, We do have an awesome chat. Tons of merch going out tomorrow for the patrons that have been uh, subscribed. They're going to get, you know, you can get yourself a shirt. You can get into the mug club. There's a really cool mug. It's a secret mug that no one can see until they get it delivered to their house. I know they're going to laugh. Um, if you hate Patreon, we have the subscribe star, subscribe star.com uh, backslash break the cycle JS. Same for the Patreon. Um, Check out the if you don't if you don't want to watch the, the 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 video cast every every other couple days you can always check us out on all of the audio casts on all of your favorite podcatchers uh, so please get those listens up maybe someday I can monetize there too I don't know it takes like fifty thousand downloads or some crazy crazy shit but anyways I will see you guys tomorrow for my podcast with Drew at the Clean Libertarian until then don't forget to break the cycle. Yeah, you have control because I just landed in Minecraft. All